Well, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, I'm going to read through this, but I'm not going to stop very long, beginning in verse number 15. It says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. See, this grace, this abundant grace that we're talking about, it leads to thankfulness, not covetousness. If God has done something for you, it leads to thankfulness. When you know that God's grace has been applied to you, it will lead you to not be covetous. But what it will do is it will put in you a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of thanksgiving. Nobody's going to have to tell you to be thankful for what God's done for you when you know that it's by his grace that he saved you. By his grace, he delivered you. By his grace, he set you free. Nobody will have to tell you you need to worship. Come on, lift those hands up. Come on. When you know what he's done for you, when you know you're living proof that God gives grace, you're walking proof that God is graceful. Some people, some people don't understand that terminology, but all, all, all people who are redeemed should live as if they are living examples that God can give grace to the most vile sinner. Because we've all, we've all been desperately needy of God's grace. We've all been in those places where we need it. And God's abundant grace, it says, um, you know, through thanksgiving of many redounds to the glory of God. Now we're going to keep going down into verse number 18. So let's keep going. It says, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And just a quick pause. The outward man is the, is, is the corruptible. The inward man, if you're born again, is the incorruptible. Man may be able to hurt the outward man, but cannot touch the inward man. Life can wear out the outward man, but life has no hold on the inward man. The world has no hold on the inward man because Jesus has overcome the world and he's given his peace to his people. And so our inward man, despite our circumstances, can be renewed, the Bible says, day by day. That means every morning that I wake up, I can't count on yesterday's graces. When I wake up in the morning, I need to be changed on a daily basis because if not, I'm going to be grumpy. If not, I'm going to be mad or whatever it, the case may be because our inward man must be renewed day by day by God's mercies that are new every morning. And if we're not going to God and allowing him to renew us day by day, we're going to be Mr. or Miss Grumpfish. Now, y'all may not know who Mr. Grumpfish is, but if you have kids and you watch this show, it's a guy named Grumpfish. He's always sad. He has a big frown on his face all the time. And that's how we are when, when we're not allowing the Spirit of God to renew us. Because, look, you're not strong enough. You, your smile is going to wear off. 
you can only put on a fake smile for so long. You might say, well, pastor, I don't feel like smiling. Well, nobody does till they're renewed. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Some of the most miserable people on earth are the most wealthy. Or some of the people that have, you know, enough money, they can go anywhere, they can do anything, they have all the friends. It's not enough. If you don't think that, that, it's, that the world cannot, can't do that, go look at Hollywood. Those people destroy each other's lives because they've gotten to a point where they have all the friends they could ever dream of. They could marry whoever they wanted to marry. They have all the money. They could go anywhere they want to go, but they're the most miserable people on earth. They feed off of other people wanting them, but they're miserable. Why is that? Because there's nothing on the inside. They're not born again. They don't have the spirit of the living God on the inside. And, and, and so we do as born-again believers, but we must allow God to renew us daily. Amen? And it's not that God doesn't have the power to renew you. It's not that God is limited on supply. He can only renew half the church. You know, it's your turn this month. Next month, it'll be somebody else's turn. You see, it doesn't matter how many bad circumstances are coming against me. God can still renew me in those circumstances. I was saying earlier, you know, the greatest Christian uh, work of literature outside the Bible is Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan, who was in prison. Bad circumstances. Amen? And instead of getting mad about it and kicking the rock, it's, I was saying, you know, the, the prison back then is not like now. It's not air-conditioned. It doesn't have TV. They didn't, I'm sure they didn't even have pillows or padded mattresses. You think, if you look at the, the prisons back then, it was basically a hole inside of a rock with an iron gate in front of it. No heating, no cooling. You live with the mice. Live with the animals. And, and so the greatest work of Christian literature was written in a prison rock cell how is this possible because that man of god was allowing the spirit of god to renew him day by day even though and look it it, it wasn't because he was in jail because he was a thief and then became a christian he wasn't in jail because he did something wrong and then got right in prison he was in prison because he was a christian and we would all be saying this is not fair you know I thought this was supposed to be my best life now. We'd be kicking the rocks and breaking our toes and all kinds of stuff. We'd be mad and we'd be, you know, where are you? Where are you? But not this guy. He proceeded to write one, of, according to Charles Spurgeon, was the, the most prolific Christian work of all time outside the Bible. He said there was two books that he kept on his nightstand, the Bible and Pilgrim's Progress. How about that? That's a pretty high recommendation. And it came from a place where he was where no one else wanted to be. He was in a place where, you know, everybody would understand if he was a little bit grumpy. Everybody would understand if he was a little bit edgy. Everybody would understand. But in order to do that, you have to keep yourself renewed day by day. Amen? And do you know that he probably didn't have a wife, you know, coming up there and telling him, now you need to get renewed today. There was something on the inside of him that desired God's mercy. Amen? There's something on the inside of us that compels us to go and get touched by God. Amen? You know the song, He Touched Me? 
He touched me. Some people need to get touched. Some people need a fresh touch. You, you, you got to go to the cross. You want a fresh touch? You got to go to the cross. That's where we're made new again. That's where things are restored. That's where our hearts are mended. That's where peace comes from. That's where deliverance flows from. It doesn't come through knowledge. It doesn't come through works. It comes through surrender at the cross. The same way you get saved is the same way you get delivered. The same way you got saved is the same way you get set free. You've got a bondage. You've got an issue. It's the same way. God doesn't change. He works through the cross. He's not going to work outside of it. There's not a work that he's going to do outside of it. When he works with mankind, he's working through the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, what we see here in this passage is that uh, this renewal takes place day by day. And so we understand that this is a daily thing and you know, five years ago was great, yesterday was great, or it might not have been. But today is a new day. Nobody can stop you from being renewed today. Nobody can stop you from going down on your knees or in your prayer chair and getting close to your Father. Nobody can stop you but you. Nobody can stop you but you. And if you'll approach your Father in prayer and seek his face daily he will renew a right spirit in you he will restore to you the joy of your salvation like david said in psalm 51 and he will renew a right spirit in you he'll set you straight you'll be all bent out of shape because somebody parked in your parking spot or somebody didn't give you a promotion, or somebody didn't write you a letter, you'll be all bent out of shape about things that have no eternal value. But when you get close to the Father and you begin to pray and he begins to renew you, guess what? Those things don't matter anymore, do they? Those things just fall right down the gutter where they belong. They fall right down in the gutter where they belong. But if you allow yourself to be consumed by those things, you, you will dry rot, literally. You will dry rot, literally. You'll be standing, but there will be no vitality on the inside. This is something that only comes from us approaching the Father through the work of Jesus on the cross. So this daily renewal that we're talking about here in verse number 16, it is definitely day by day. Now let's look at verse number 17. It says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. You do know that your affliction is not going to be forever, right? What's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? You know it's going to be changed one day. You know there's going to be a day when everything changes. Amen? The afflictions that we endure are but for a moment. They're not forever. There will be a day when everything changes. When we go to glory or when glory comes here. But everything will change one day. Our afflictions are but for a moment. What we've got to do is handle our afflictions the right way. Amen? Our afflictions are but for a moment. A brief time. We've got to walk and navigate through these afflictions 
because they're not going to last forever. And we don't want these afflictions to keep us back from our Father. Right under the feet of Jesus is where we belong. You think back about Mary and Martha when Mary was, was sitting at the feet of Jesus and she was just relishing at his feet in his presence, just listening to, to the words just roll out of his mouth and from his heart. And then you have Martha hearing the same thing but not hearing it. She was in the same room but she wasn't listening. She was listening with her carnal ear but not her heart. So she wasn't being renewed. She was all mad, amen? Martha had the same attitude that most Christians have today. They will get all bent out of shape about some issue that has no eternal value. Who's gonna do the dishes? Well, who's gonna sweep? Who's gonna pick up this mess? Who's gonna help me cook? Who's gonna help me do? Who, why is nobody else doing this? See, she was all consumed with things that should be down there in the gutter where they belong. But she was picking up these things that were keeping her back from her God. Amen? Amen. They were keeping her back from her God. Had she let those things go down into the gutter where they belong, she could have been right along beside Mary and, and allowing the Spirit of God to renew her right then. Amen? I think that we can all relate to Martha. I think that we can all relate to Martha. Most of us, we can relate to Martha and, and because we get caught up in the cares of the world, which is a very dangerous place. You definitely don't want the cares of the world to get in your heart. But most people, if they're honest, get caught up in the cares of the world. This is why I believe uh, Leonard Ravenhill, he said, his best estimate was about 10% of the church was actually saved. 90% of them were going through the motions. They know they should be. They were raised right, but they weren't actually converted. You see, it is dangerous when the cares of the world distract us from God because we don't need to get that in our heart. It will cause some bad problems. If you don't believe that, go read Mark chapter 4 after the service. The, the cares of the world will produce, you know, horrible effects in our walk with God. Now, watch, watch what he says here. He says that our light affliction. Now, you know, context is important when you read Scripture because without context, you can literally do just about anything without context. So if you look at the context of what Paul's talking about here when he says our light affliction, it was not light. In our view, it was not light. What he went through was not light. Honestly, if you look at his life as he was shipwrecked, as he was abandoned, as he was left for dead, as he was stoned, you know, as all these things that went against him, it was not light affliction. Not, not many people can say they were stoned to death but didn't die. Not many people can say that. Not many people can say that they were beaten with all those stripes that he was beaten with. That's why, you know, I said history says that he walked, you know, disfigured and, and humpback and with a limp. Couldn't walk without assistance, which is powerful. 
considering they didn't have $63 million airplanes to fly around with like some ministers today. You talk about the heart of a guy after God. What is it? How did this guy not get frustrated? How did he not get mad? How did he not, you know, kick the dog, so to say? This is not working out right. Can you imagine if he was handed a book called Your Best Life Now? Can you imagine what he would do with it after he was beaten and left for dead? Stoned? Can you imagine? I wonder if he would light it on fire like they did all those other books of wizardry, new age things. But nonetheless, Paul here is characterizing his afflictions as light. And we might say, well, he's not going through what I went through. Well, no, he's not. It's probably worse. It's probably worse. It, you, could, you could have it rougher than him, but nonetheless, he calls it light affliction. And the reason he calls it a light affliction is because the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to see that your afflictions are not forever. That's the only reason he calls it a light affliction right here. Because if you look at the list, it's heavy. But if you look at it in light of eternity, it's light. If you look at your afflictions when in the world's perspective, it's overcoming burden. It is a, a, it is a burden that will wear you out. But if you look at your afflictions in light of glory of eternity, they become light. It comes down to our perspective on what we're looking towards. When our goal and our aim is eternity, the afflictions we endure, somebody parks in our parking spot, it won't matter when our goal is eternity. But if our goal is to impress man and to get man's accolades, we will fly off the handle when somebody parks in our parking spot. You see the difference? The afflictions don't change. It's whether they're light or heavy based on what you're looking at. Eternity or the here and now. If you only focus on the here and now, a thumbtack of affliction will wear you down. Not to mention some of life's most tragic things. But on the other hand, if your goal and your heart's desire is eternity, the worst affliction man can put on you, the worst affliction the world can throw on your feet will be light. Because you'll know this is only for a moment. I'm enduring this for a moment. I'm going through this, but praise God, I'm coming out of it one day. Praise the Lord. Either God's going to deliver me, God's going to take me home. Either way, this affliction is but for a moment. I'm coming out of this one day. Praise God, God's not going to leave me like this. He's either going to change me or bring me home, but it's not going to stay the same. It's not going to stay this way. And as I'm looking at it that way, God is changing me and renewing me day by day. Do you see this? So beautiful. It's, it is really how our perspective is determines how heavy our afflictions are. The things that we're caught up in. 
Some people, they can't stop talking about the things of the world, and some people can't stop talking about the things of God. And that right there is an indicator about who's bearing burdens or not. Heavy ones. We all have got burdens. We've all got afflictions. Some people, so many afflictions, they can barely get to church, barely lift their head above water. It's how they feel. Well, the world will continue to throw afflictions on us. You know, you know Satan is, is no different than a shark in the water. The smell of weakness, he's going to go after it. Amen? One, um, one Puritan, he said that, that Satan, um, he walks around, he walks around looking for an unlocked door. He walks around looking for a weak spot in us, a chink in the armor. Amen? And as soon as you start, you know, once, you know, it takes us a minute, we're a little bit dull, but once we realize we're being attacked and we go over here, we fortify that spot, then we only look at that spot. But he doesn't stop. He's going around a different side now. Amen? So that's why we've got to stay in this place where our focus is on eternal things, not temporal things, not worldly things. So just continuing in this verse a little bit further, our light afflictions... Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. See, the things that when, when God's allowing us to go through affliction, you know, uh, James said to count it all joy when you go through afflictions, when temptations, count it all joy. That's hard to do when, when the world's coming down around you and everything's falling apart, it's hard to count it all joy. But you see, God's working something in you. If you'll hold on to God, if you'll hold on to God, God will continue working something in you. Amen? These things work a far greater thing than, than anything this earth will ever know. The glory that we'll receive. Look, do you know that there's a crown for enduring to the end? You know that there's a crown for keeping your eye on Jesus, enduring to the end. There's a crown for it. You have no idea what that crown, how valuable that is. You have no idea. You have no idea how wonderful it's going to be when we're in glory. And, and the trials, the setbacks, the afflictions that we've gone through, but we've kept our eyes on the cross and we've continued to go towards him, even if we've got to crawl, we're not taking our heart off of him. We're not allowing the world to consume us. We're, having, we're, we're going to him, and he's renewing us day by day. That is going to work in you a far more exceeding thing of glory than you'll ever imagine. We'll quote him twice in this sermon, Leonard Avonhill. He said, Five minutes in, inside of heaven, most of us will be ashamed. Most of us will be ashamed. Five minutes. Can you imagine the perspective once you're there in glory? Once you're there in glory to, be, to know, I belly ached about a parking spot. I belly ached about who was going to teach Sunday school. I belly ached about who was going to do this and who was going to do that. 
I belly ached about, you know, I was all, I was doubtful that God could provide for me because my Swebco bill was so high and the government said I wasn't getting this and that, da-da-da-da-da. Five minutes inside glory. Understand this. Once we're there, we're not going to need faith anymore. And I believe, I believe this with all my heart. The worship that you give God now and the prayers that you pray now are going to count far more than you'll ever imagine. Because once you get there, you're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to do that. Worshiping him in his presence is one thing, but we're worshiping by faith. Remember what Jesus told Thomas? Thomas believed and saw, but Jesus said it's more blessed what? To believe and not see. Look, think about it in worship. It's more blessed to worship and not see. Yes, when we're in glory, we're all going to be worshiping. There's nothing else we're going to be able to do because he's that beautiful. And, and to worship him now while we can't see him, or let me say it like this, to see he who's invisible, to look into the spirit. Amen? Amen. Not tangible, but in the spirit. Watch this. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. If you're from East Texas like me, that means temporary. It means it's not going to last forever. The things which are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal, forever. You understand what this means? How much implication we have here? That, that we are called to keep our eyes, our heart, our focus on the things that people can't see, that we can't see. If you're looking at what people are doing, how people are treating you, you're looking at this and you're looking at that, you're looking at all these temporal things, you can expect to not experience renewal in your spirit. But as we allow ourselves to, to, to sit at the feet of Jesus and look on eternal things, God's spirit will renew you day by day. See, God's calling us to look not on the temporal things, but on the eternal things. Well, how do you look on things that are eternal? When you're surrounded by temporal things, how do you look on things that are eternal? It's by faith. It's by faith. Everybody sees the negative situation, but do you see God working in it? Do you see God's promise in it? Everybody sees the present affliction. Everybody sees it, but do you see God's hand in it? Do you see God with you and not forsaking you when you feel alone? Do you know God provides for you when there's nothing there? Do you know that God heals you when you don't feel good? Do you know that God saves you when you don't feel saved? Do you know these things about God? Because everybody looks at the same thing, but not everybody looks at that which is eternal. 
Some people are too caught up in that which is temporal. Some people are too caught up in the here and now. He said, she said, I want, they want. They didn't, I didn't. I wanted, they didn't. They did this, and I wanted that. What did he say? What did she say? Everybody gets caught up in that, and everybody sees that stuff. But some, very few, choose to not dwell on those things. He said what? She said what? Well, then what did they do? Come on now. You want to focus on those things? Your burden is going to get heavier and heavier and heavier till you're not going to be able to stand. You're going to be Mr. or Miss Grumpfish because you're not allowing the Spirit of God to renew you. But here we see a, a, a great promise that if we'll simply look to the eternal. I want to just kind of pick up on this for a minute. You know, Moses did this. The Hall of Fame of Faith describes it. If you'll turn over there in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. One of the greatest examples of walking away from the world. Walking away from the world. It's a great example. Moses, we don't really give him the respect or the props, I guess, the credit. We think all about, you know, the deliverance. But you don't see 40 years prior when he walked away from being Pharaoh's son. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. All of Egypt was at his feet, literally, except for Pharaoh. The whole nation. Could you imagine? And yet, the Bible says that Moses turned it all away. You know that nobody could have twisted his arm to turn him away. It had to be God. What happened? Look in Hebrews chapter number 11 and go down to verse number 25. Well, let's look at verse 24. Let's start there. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, listen to this, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, I'm going to stop right there for just a minute. Just a wee little minute. Listen to this. He chose affliction over pleasure. How many people preach that? He chose affliction because he wanted God. He chose affliction over pleasure because his eyes were not on worldly things but on godly things. He chose God over the world. We've got the same choice. We've got the same choice. Every single one of us can choose to live for the world. He said, she said, they said, we said, they went, they did what? What did you do next? Everybody can live in those places. But not everybody chooses to live for God. 
And look what he did. He's, he says, you know, in, in verse number uh, 24, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, was it a sin to live in Pharaoh's house? Not necessarily, but there must have been sinful activity there. Amen? Must have been sinful activity there. Look what he says, though. Esteeming the, the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Hold up. Do you know what the, what the reproach of Christ is? Because if you don't, you may not be living for him. The reproach of Christ is when people don't talk to you because, you know, you're the weird one. The reproach of Christ is when you don't make as much money as somebody else because you're the weird one that don't work on Sundays. Amen? But they don't know how God can multiply. You know, God's math is bigger than the world's math. Ask the owner of Chick-fil-A. Well, I think he's in glory now, but look at the owner of Chick-fil-A. You can't operate a fast food restaurant and close down on Sundays. He's honoring God, and God honored that business. It's the same way with us. When we honor God, God honors that. God looks on those things. And, and Moses esteemed the riches of Christ greater than the riches of Egypt. He would rather suffer reproach for the name of Christ than have anything he wanted. Not many people can say this. Not many people can say this. Now, down through history, there have been some great men and women of God. Come to, my, come to mind right now, um, just, you know, one of the people of God that I love the most is John Wesley. John Wesley. You thought I was going to say Leonard Ravenhill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one of the people of God that I love the most is John Wesley, and, and, and he was born wealthy. He was born wealthy, literally, silver spoon. When he died, I mean, he, he had all this stuff. They, they had money coming in all over the place. When he died, he left, I think they said six pence, which was one pence for each pallbearer. And that was it. No house, no cars, no trust fund. Nothing. Six pence, one for each pallbearer and the Methodist church. Now, the Methodist church is not what it once was, but back in the day, it had it, 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 had it going on. It, it, it had it going on. It, it operated in the power of the Spirit. It was Pentecostal before Pentecostals were. They operated in the Spirit. How, how did he do that? He chose Christ over the riches of the world. He actually literally invested all that he had in the kingdom of God. All the money that he had, it went into printing hymn books. His, his brother wrote hymns, Charles Wesley. He wrote a few, but Charles Wesley wrote a lot. He, he, he put his money into writing hymn books. He put his money into starting churches. He put his money into going to churches and supporting them and going on mission trips. He invested his life in the kingdom because he chose 
the reproach of Christ over the riches of the world. Could have just as easily built a mansion, sat back, sipped tea, went to church whenever the doors opened. But God called him to a different place. He chose, amen, he chose the reproach of Christ over the riches of the world. It was a heart thing. It was a heart thing for him. And when Moses was, was presented this, this opportunity, he realized who he was, and he realized that God's people were enslaved. He, when he left, he did not have the promise that he was going to be the one to deliver the people. Understand, when Moses walked out of Pharaoh's house, there was no promise yet of the burning bush. He never had this conversation with the great I am. He willingly left all with no promise of restoration. That's powerful. This was, this was a long time. This was a long time we're talking about. And he chose the reproach of Christ over the riches of Egypt. Grapes, figs, all that kind of stuff. The riches of Egypt didn't matter to him. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches. Now that's powerful. And look what it says in this next verse. Well, let me finish that verse. I didn't finish it. Uh, esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. He knew that there was an eternal thing. His aim was eternal. He knew that these were the people of God, and he chose to suffer with them because he wanted to, to be in glory with them. Understand? He wanted to be in glory with them. He knew what we read about in 2 Corinthians 4, that these afflictions are but for a moment. That was his mindset. Look, they're enslaved. He chose to become a slave. He chose to become a slave. And he chose that because he knew afflictions were but for a moment. Not many of us have done that. Moravian missionaries, they did it. But not many people have sold themselves into slavery. It's amazing. Most people had themselves sold. Not many people willingly sold themselves into slavery. Look what it says, though, here. It says in verse number 27, it says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Do you see that? He looked not on the temporal things, but on the eternal things, the things that are invisible. He looked at the same situation everybody else looked at, but he wasn't looking at it from a worldly standpoint. He was looking at it from an eternal perspective, looking at he who is invisible. Just as we said earlier that Jesus told Thomas, you know, blessed are you because you've seen and believed, but more blessed are those that believe and don't see more blessed those that are believing but they're looking at the invisible they're believing by faith 
This is what Moses did. He believed by faith in he who is invisible. He who is invisible. Now, let me go take you to Colossians chapter number one. I'll show you something here. Talking about he who is invisible. Now, you know that God's invisible, right? It says that no man has seen God and lived. Whenever Moses wanted to see God, God said, you can't see me and live, but you can see my hinder part. He put him in the cleft of the rock, and he passed by, and after he passed by, Moses saw his hinder part. That's the closest any living mortal's ever been to seeing the living God. It was only when Christ came incarnate that the glory was veiled. The glory was veiled. Then you remember on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, how the glory was unveiled for a moment? And what was Peter ready to do? He was ready to build temples. <laughs> Forget the temple down there. We're building some new ones right here. He saw the glory, glory. Now watch this. In, in Colossians chapter 1, we're talking about he who is invisible. Now we just read that Moses, Moses chose... Moses chose not to fear Pharaoh because he was looking at he who was invisible. Was he not? That's the only way that you can endure afflictions. The only way that you can endure afflictions is the same way Moses did. Looking at he who is invisible. Looking at it from an eternal perspective. Looking at it as we read in Corinthians that our light afflictions are but for a moment. But for a moment, they're not going to last forever. And if you keep an eternal perspective, they'll be light. If you keep a worldly perspective, they'll be heavy. Light, heavy. Light, heavy. Watch this. Colossians chapter number one. Let's see, beginning in verse, let's begin in verse number 15 or 14. Colossians 1 verse 14. It says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, speaking of Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of, of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, didn't he? He said, you want to go to the Father, you got to come through me. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelt in him. And here it says that he is the image of the invisible God. Meaning, if you want to see God, here he is incarnate. Veiled glory, there he is. So if we're going to keep our eyes on things that are eternal, we've got to keep our eyes on he who is the image of the invisible God, Jesus. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. If we do, our afflictions will remain light and our spirit will remain renewed. But the minute we begin looking at how horrible it is, how terrible it is, how hard it is, the minute we begin looking at those things, it will swell up around us. 
If you've ever battled, you know, things like depression or something like that, it will come on you and, and, and you won't want to get set free because you're too busy looking at how bad it is. It feels good to look at how bad it is. It feels good to look at how bad it is. But God wants you to put your eyes on Jesus and get set free. God wants you to put your eyes on Jesus and get set free. And, 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 and in us, there's something in us that desires that. Way down deep, there's something that desires to get set free. And the only way we're ever going to experience freedom, the only way our afflictions are ever going to be- change from heavy to light, the only way we're ever going to experience a daily renewal, the only way we're not going to dry rot, it's to keep our eyes on he who is the image of the invisible God, not looking at our problems, looking at the solution, not looking at how woe is me, look how bad it is, but looking to our Savior, looking to him, and he keeps us headed in the right direction. He keeps us with an eternal perspective. Amen? Let me close back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Reading this verse number 18 in closing. Verse 17, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Things which are not seen are eternal. I'm going to say this to you. The things that you see with your eyes are temporal. The circumstance you're going through is temporary. It's temporary. There's coming a day when it's all going to change. Could all change tonight? Could all change tomorrow? Could all change when God calls you home to glory? But your, your, your affliction is temporary. The things that you see are temporary. Be it good or bad. You may not have any problems. You might be one of the few that that has no complaints about life. Everything's hunky-dory. Well, the things of this world are temporary. The things of eternity are forever. We've got to keep our eyes on the things that are not seen. Everybody looks at the same situation, but not everybody looks at it the same way. If, you, if, if, if one event takes place and there's 10 witnesses, you know you get 10 different accounts. You just try to marry up. How, you know, there's nine that saw it this way and one sees it this way, but they all are from different perspectives. If you don't believe that, look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all record the same events, but from different perspectives. See, from different perspectives. Different people brought out different points, but they saw the same events. And it's the same way in our lives. We all see the same things. We all go through the same hardships. Some may have it a little bit harder than others, but you don't know what it's like to be in the other person's shoes. You know? 
You might think it's bad because you can't get a job, but you don't know how bad it is for somebody that retired but can't retire because they don't have, you know, the money. They have to keep working. You don't know what it's like to be in both shoes. You don't know what it's like. So you, you, even though you're looking at the same thing, you've got to look at it from an eternal perspective. Amen? Amen. You might say, well, you know, if that was me, I would be all happy. Well, you don't know that. You don't know that. Because we all face affliction. Varying degrees, but we all face affliction. And the only way you're going to manage your way through those things is if they're light because you're looking at he who's invisible and God's renewing you day by day. Amen?